Okay, welcome back. This is Roger Royce, host of the 10,000 Startups podcast, Legal Strategies for Startup Success, where every week we bring you the original content from a subject matter expert in a topic of startup law. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about a legal topic that really affects almost every startup company that I deal with. It really is pervasive and it's getting to be more and more of a topic and that is privacy law. We have with us this week, Gavin George. He is a partner with Haynes Boone uh, and his practice encompasses privacy, data processing, technology transactions, and intellectual property in the information age. He counsels clients on international, federal, and state level privacy compliance and transactional issues. So we've got a lot to talk about. We'll probably cover the California Consumer Privacy Act uh, the EU general uh, GDPR, uh, and, and probably some other laws as well. Uh, Gavin has been recognized as a 2020 standout lawyer by Accreta Stars. So Gavin, thanks for being here today. And let's just jump right into it. Um, what startups really have to worry about privacy laws? Which companies, what kind of company, who is this meant for? Yeah, Roger. Uh, great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, happy to talk about one of my favorite subjects is privacy. Uh, well, here in the uh, United States, at least, we're faced with a, a growing number of privacy laws, uh, especially at the state level. Whereas uh, five years ago, we had zero consumer privacy laws. We're up to, you know, six on the books, another five, six, seven coming, depends on, you know, what, what, uh, what stage they are at the state legislatures. So to your question, what sort of businesses have to worry about these new privacy laws and privacy expectations? Certainly every business with an employee. So if you have a business with an employee uh, or uh, you, you are worrying about these privacy laws. Also, any business that's processing any data about any person, including simple things like names and addresses and phone numbers, uh, mobile locations, or is um, you know in the business of you know training AI models on on these sorts of things, or pre performing any sorts of uh, procedures on uh, on on data generally, these laws are quite broad, as you can. As you can see, uh, any sort of personal information about a consumer that's residing in a state like uh, California and a state like Colorado or Virginia or Texas um, is going to be covered. And of course, when you're looking at what effects these laws sort of have, because California is such a big market where I know you're located, Roger, most companies will be looking at California's law being the most strictest and most high watermark uh, in order to build their privacy programs to that sort of that sort of benchmark. Now I will point out that some of these privacy laws that we're dealing with, not all of them, but some of them, do have certain revenue or record thresholds that you have to get to. So in order for a regulator like the California Attorney General to enforce some of these privacy laws, there is there's an exception for small businesses and startups. So there's a certain level of revenue, usually multiples of millions of dollars in annual revenue before you're really under the regulatory uh, uh, eye 
of uh, of the California Attorney General, let's say. So there is uh, there is a little bit of leeway and a little bit of cushion for you as a startup, at least to think about uh, whether these privacy laws are going to apply. Well, let, let's let's talk about that a little bit because um, there's a lot there. So I'm going to put the employee stuff aside for a minute. Um, I had always thought that there's a big difference between a company that has an interactive website and one that doesn't, one that actually collects email addresses, you fill out a form, you sign up for a mailing list, you have gated content, for example. Uh, is that true under some or most of these laws? There's certainly still a difference, but a non-interactive website is no excuse not to have a comprehensive policy these days. Maybe several years ago, that was actually true. You wouldn't need to worry about getting a privacy policy done. You could perhaps get away with something you cut and paste many years ago. That is not the case anymore. Uh, Of course, of course, a Facebook privacy policy is going to be a lot longer and more involved on a social media site than it would be a more simple website. That is absolutely true. But every website with its face that's you know open to the public that is placing a cookie on a user's computer, which almost is using Google Analytics, is doing any third-party advertising on the website, is doing any you know join our join my mailing list uh, text forms. All of that is means you need a privacy policy, a customized privacy policy for your website or your app. I don't want to leave apps out of this because apps are included in this as well. On your privacy, on your website or on your app, a privacy policy describes exactly the data you're gathering, how you're going to use it, how you're going to delete it, and with which third parties you're going to share that data with. It is no longer enough to say, thank you for your data. We'll use it for our business purposes and share it with who we want to share it with. That doesn't pass muster anymore. And the regulators are uh, more uh, scrutinizing privacy policies and to ensure that they're following uh, the the new slate of laws we have out there. And is that, is that mostly California law you're referencing or is that more generally GDPR or both? Yeah, great question. So I do talk a lot towards California law because it was the first and the most comprehensive, but I don't want to leave in the United States. Let me say that. I don't want to leave out the other states that have followed suit. I've mentioned some of them, Utah, Colorado, Connecticut, Virginia, Texas, uh, several others on the books that are coming soon. So when when I talk about that, and I, I don't want to leave out those other states because what happened is California passed its law. It was the first. And then these other states uh, came along for the ride. And we have almost a, you know, a, a lineup of privacy laws as they begin to fall in place over the next several years. I expect we may, unless we have access from Congress, get a, a very much a patchwork of laws. But I still talk to California law quite a bit, being the first and a lot of a lot of companies building their privacy policies towards California. Now, you mentioned the GDPR. So GDPR, that is the original. That is the OG of privacy laws. And that is uh, the one that started in Europe. It even predates California law. A lot of us have heard about it. It is the uh, the 
even more strict in most ways than the California laws. And there is absolutely no cushion and no exception to the GDPR, except that it only applies to EU resident data. So if you're not doing business in the EU, you don't worry about it. But with the global nature of businesses and the app stores being you know, all over the place, and when you build your product and you want to launch it globally uh, uh, these days for a lot of startups, they have to look at the GDPR too. Remember the GDPR? It's strict, it carries high fines, and there's no exceptions to it for small businesses and startups. So that is even a more fraught area of privacy compliance, even above and beyond the law that we're typically focused on earlier in my discussion, which is more of the California uh, uh, regime and what's been started here in the United States. Can you tell me at a high level, you said it applies to EU resident data, and I assume that means, so for example, if you have a customer who's in the EU, um, you're going to be subject to GDPR, even though you're sitting here in California, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. EU resident data. So the G, the uh, the uh, the way that the privacy laws are set up, they apply to the data of the resident of the geography to which the law applies. So you do not apply, well, you do not apply California privacy law to an EU resident. You are much more concerned about GDPR privacy laws because the regulator over that EU resident will enforce the GDPR against you no matter where you are in the world. Now, mm-hmm. that said, you're not going to get a lot of attention if you're a small startup and say, you know, you know, uh, outside the EU. Um, but if you are directing your services, and I'll 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 put that in quotes because that means exactly what it means. It's in the it's in the GDPR that if you're directing your services or your website or your products into the EU, you are subject to following the EU regulations. I see. Um, now I understand that one of the big big components of GDPR that maybe we don't have here as much is this. Uh, right to be forgotten, and uh, this the, the idea that people have to opt in instead of being given the opportunity to opt out. Are there any, first of all, am I right about that? And, and what are the major differences between GDPR and what you might expect to see here in the U.S.? Well, we've hit on definitely one of them. The right to be forgotten really hasn't caught on in the U.S. here. Uh, we have many of the same rights, the right to access the right to deletion, which is a little bit about the right to be forgotten, but it's not quite the same thing. We have the right to deletion here. And the right to deletion is, as long as there's not a legal reason or a tax reason or another justifiable reason, a security reason that you need to hold on to personal data, under the California regime we've been talking about, that data should be deleted. This flies directly and contrary to some of the old thinking around big data, where you just built up as much personal data as you could and then use it for analytics. This is directly and contrary to that. It's much more of a GDPR line of thinking, saying that you know when you don't need the data anymore, you have to delete it. We don't quite have the right to be forgotten. The right to be forgotten is a, is a unique sort of thing in the GDPR that requires websites to really go down and change old data because it's outdated or the 
criminal case has expired, things like that. That's a little bit different idea we have in GDPR. What GDPR also has that we really haven't caught on yet here uh, in the United States is cross-border restrictions. GDPR restricts the movement of data just by moving the data, personal data, outside of the EU. There's a series of steps you must follow to legitimize that transfer of just moving the data. Uh, that is really not caught on here. There's no cross-border restrictions in the United States. You can send the data out and in as much as you want. Uh, but other things that the GDPR have caught on, the right to deletion, the right to access, the right to opt out of advertising. And why would they have the right to be forgotten in the EU? We have definitely the right to not have your data shared in the U.S., in the California regime specifically. So that's something that's a little different, but is, is, still, uh, is still notable between the two um, regimes. Can we pause on that for a minute? What does it mean to share? What if I use a California subcontractor to help me with something? Is that sharing data? Or do you mean that I'm licensing it to somebody for some commercial use? Well, I definitely mean more of the latter. Now, there's okay. a whole... You know, there's a whole discussion around one word, Roger, and I think you've really hit on that. That word share does a lot of work in the law, and it's got its own, it's got its own definition. And it maybe it's not the same definition that you're thinking of, uh, as or a, a layperson might be thinking of that hasn't looked at the law. So when you hear, you know, the right not to share, what you need to be thinking is you need to be thinking third parties, and you need to be thinking just any exchange with a third party. Now, you hit on something, Roger, that I've also is also a nuance, which is a somebody who's just supporting you as a service provider in your business, if they're just doing work for you just to make sure your email gets delivered or that it's, you know, Microsoft 365 or Microsoft Outlook that you're using or you're using Amazon web services or Azure or, you know, whatever it is. Those are just those are not doing anything with the data except just holding it for you. They're just supporting you and just giving you a platform to work on. Those are not sharing relationships. You're just using using them as a as a as a service provider. But should you be doing anything else? Should you be, you know, allowing them to um, you know, allowing somebody to train their AI model on your data saying, "Here, yeah, this be useful data. You go ahead and go ahead and train your AI model on it." Uh, if you are using it uh, in a third-party advertising context with Facebook, are you sending a list of names, email addresses, or phone numbers to Facebook for retargeting? That's a share. Uh, so those sort of things where the other parties is supporting a larger business ecosystem, advertising network, things like that, that goes into the sharing category. So that's really something that you need to drill down on as a as a business and find out if you're sharing. I talk to a lot of businesses who come to tell me, they say, Gavin, we don't sell or share data. We never sell or share data. Well, are you sure? Are you using Facebook Pixel? Are you getting any sort of uh, you know preferred pricing because you're sharing your uh, your uh, uh, list of customers with another with another business. So things to look out for to make sure you're not sharing. Yeah. Um, so you kind of hit on the next thing I wanted to ask you about. I mean, we've been seeing we've seen some just massive advances in AI and deep learning and 
learning systems, LLM, uh, large language models lately. And uh, of course, those are all just as good as the data they're based on, right? And one of the things I've noticed is that everybody sort of assumes they just have the rights to data. In fact, last week we had a we did a podcast on on AI and intellectual property rights in AI. But when it comes down to the data piece, um, it seems to me that it would be extremely important to know that if you're using, if you're training an AI system on data, that you're absolutely sure that you've got all the proper rights and consents and permissions for every single piece of data. Or if you don't, and you have to remove somebody's data, if that's even possible, that sort of ruins the whole set, doesn't it? Absolutely. And we are treading into new waters here. And because the AI ecosystem, call it the AI world as a whole is so new, very, very few privacy policies have been built to allow the use of data in AI models and to train AI models. And unless you've gathered the personal data with that permission attached to the data through your privacy policy or another a contract or a mechanism, you cannot just throw that data into your A model because it looks so tempting to do so. But a good example of this might be, oh, wait, what, what, I kind of train my AI model like on all the addresses that I have of all my customers. I'm sure I could learn something about, you know, how I can, you know, better, better deliver my product. Or why can't I just plug in all the, the IP addresses or, um, or I can, you know, use the location of my users, why not? I have access to their, you know, their their uh, their GPS signal on their mobile device, or maybe their IP address. Why not use that to train up a model? It might help my business. Be very careful with that because you probably, unless you've been, you know, you know, thinking about this for for a while, don't have that permission from your customers yet. Your privacy policy probably doesn't say anything about AI. Very very few privacy policies I've seen even mention AI. Uh, and if you put that data to a new use, even though it looks like it's part of your systems, you're like, oh, this is just all my data. It's not your data. It belongs to the person uh, from whom you've gathered it. And if you haven't gathered it with the proper consents and permissions and policies to throw it into an AI model, you can't do that, at least not, not, uh, not, legally, not legally. Now, there are some creative ways that you maybe still will get to the benefits of an AI model. You may be able to anonymize it, and you may be able to pseudonymize your data. In other words, take the data, scramble it up a little bit, so it's no longer personal, but it's still useful from a modeling standpoint. Now, those things exist, but um, that, uh, you know, please, as you jump off into that water, uh, and you like uh, you want to plug in a new a new something else into your AI models that you're trying to build of a generative AI or whatever it is. Be exercise some caution there. Yeah, it sounds very complicated. So that kind of brings me to my last question for you. I mean, for our typical startup company, like I say, this sounds complex. It sounds like there's traps all over the place. Um, how in the world can a company know that it's complying? Because we don't we don't have a federal. I think you said there's no federal law of privacy. It's it's state and then it's Europe. What you know? How does a company comply with these laws? How can they manage to know that they? Because we don't even they probably don't even know what states you know are out there that are adopting new rules all the time. 
I, I have maybe a little bit of good news and a little bit of uh, not so good news. I mean, it is another thing to just worry about, right? Uh, it's another compliance hurdle that you need to look at and you need to be aware of. Now, the good news is, is the startup world and the tech world is becoming much more aware of operating in this space. I think there's a recognition that personal information is now sort of, is now more legally protected. I think there's a recognition of protecting confidentiality and getting the right policies in place. I uh, I remember, you know, many, many years ago, I asked to get data protection terms in place with a cloud uh, hosting provider, and they had no idea what I was trying to do. They're like, why do we need data protection terms? Uh, that doesn't happen today. Everybody knows, and the, the level of education has definitely gone up. So the, 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 the world around privacy has gotten more sophisticated. Um, there is um, also a, a, some good rules of thumb that you can follow, right? Uh, there's some good rules of thumb that you can follow that startups should be thinking about early, thinking about designing their systems for privacy, designing about thinking about their databases with certain flags on how you've gathered that data. If just because you've got it in your marketing database or your delivery database doesn't mean the two are interchangeable and you need to flag that data accordingly. And you can really save yourself a lot of headache just by taking a lot of just some preliminary steps to recognize that uh, not all personal data, not all data is the same. It has come into, through different channels and different policies apply. Now, uh, because we're still new, most of the time, regulators are very willing to work with you. That's the other good news that I have. Regulators are not interested right now, at least, in throwing the book at startups for and raking them over the coals for privacy. They're very much about education. Uh, the biggest fines that have come out of California have, have come down to one thing, and that is just ignoring and then not responding when the regulator comes to your door and says, oh, what are you doing there? If you ignore them, they get very upset. Otherwise, they're all about helping you as a startup uh, succeed and handle the private, the uh, personal data properly and not about throwing out a huge fine. That's how the way it exists today. Okay, great. Well, on that note, then, I think we'll go ahead and conclude. I want to, I want to, I want to close on an up note in, in a very complex, uh, worrisome area. This is Roger Royce, 10,000 Startups. We've been talking with Gavin George about privacy. Okay, thank you very much for being here. And thank you, audience. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, Roger.